So, the question for us today is, what is the opposite of a brilliant jerk? So, the term brilliant jerk um, has kind of been around for maybe a decade or so, maybe a little more. If, if, you're, a, if you're a Netflixer, um, it was the CEO of, the, of Netflix, Reed Hastings, that first gets credit for kind of popularizing the term. And uh, other people have written about it. There was a, a famous blog in the New York Times that talked about the brilliant jerk. So just in case you're wondering what, con- what characterizes a brilliant jerk, here's some consensus. Um, the brilliant jerk, brilliant, okay, so there's, there's a jerk. That but kind of gives you a clue right there. Um, dampens unity by habitually complaining. Legitimately very bright and maybe the best contributor, so the best salesperson, the, the, the best faculty member, the best teacher, the best uh, hardest worker, produces the most stuff, you know, that person legitimately could be the actual best person to do that. Sometimes resents when someone else comes along as the up-and-coming star and they, they, they don't like being displaced, so they, they kind of let it know that I'm still, I'm still on top. They're privileged, and they know it. They take advantage of it sometimes. If you remember the Uber scandal with the CEO of Uber, the kind of the frat room um, uh, values that they did in Uber and taking advantage of women in particular, um, that's part of the privilege. Incapable of apology. Um, jumps to conclusions, then gaslights, right? Gaslights. Uh, oh, I, I was wrong, but it's really their fault. It's really your fault that I was wrong, you know. No, gaslighting. Criticizes the boss. That, that's a good one, especially when the boss isn't around. And adverse to constructive feedback. So uh, John Mark Comer, who's uh, one of the people that we recommended as, as a good person to kind of learn from um, in, 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 the, in the, our Christian faith, um, in, in a podcast back in uh, 2017, he suggested that the world is actually run by brilliant jerks. This is not a new uh, thought, by the way. <laughs> and that... Uh, that the that the fact the fact of being a brilliant jerk is kind of opposite to some of the things we value as Christians, right? Um, so here here's a quote from him: "It's brilliant jerks that run the world. Like not to make a political statement, but whatever side of the aisle you're on, Washington D.C. It's not exactly like meekness is the top character trait there. All right, it's not a political statement; it's a moral and social statement. Like those who run our country are not the meek; it's usually the rich." It's the powerful. It's the Ivy League. It's the educated. It's those with friends in high places. Often it's those who lie and cheat and steal and self-promote and get ahead. So, uh, if you're here this morning and you believe in the typical American way of climbing the career ladder with making money or gaining prestige or becoming an influencer being an important goal, um, if you focus a significant amount of your life goals and energy on job promotion, if you judge the success of yourself, other people, or institutions by the money you make or the money they make, if you insist on being in charge and denying others the opportunity to, to lead, you may just be a brilliant jerk. Now, in last week's scripture message, right, James 5, 1 through 6, we saw the clear message that brilliant jerks, and that's who I believe that James was talking about without using that phrase, are inevitably headed for ruin, no money, no reputation, 
no joy in life, and responsibility for sins ranging from lust to fraud to murder. So welcome to church this morning. (laughs) There is another way, and hopefully you are waiting for that one. So let's see what James 5, 7 through 12 has in store for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, our words, our heart, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So uh, let's start with some categorization, some uh, some people categorization. So we'll start with that. By the way, I want to give a shout out to, to Matthew. Um, the, if you ever had the trouble where what's on your monitor is not being mirrored properly, and there's no obvious reason why, he had that problem this morning, and he solved it. So thank you, Matthew. Um, so let's start with let's start with uh, uh, this. Now, by the way, I always like to give some college words, okay? So I'm going to throw some college words at you, okay? Orthogonal dimensions, that's what we're going to talk about. So you want to go home and say, hey, I learned about orthogonal dimensions today. There you go. I, I don't want to disappoint. Um, all right. So let's let's start with, uh, say, a vertical line or axis. So we got this. And then let's put, uh, let's put this. So we've got um, not a jerk. And if you can imagine jerk at the very top. So it's like a continuum. You know, if you're not a jerk, you're rated down here at the bottom. If you are a jerk, you're at the top. And if your jerkiness is in the middle, you're somewhere in the middle. Okay, so let's, let's now let's try a, um, um, a, a measurement of jerkiness. Let's go ahead and put a horizontal axis in there. And we'll say this is a measurement of brilliance. So on the left is not so brilliant, right? In the middle, kind of average brilliance. And on the right, shining star brilliance. Okay. So um, so the idea here is going to be to, to categorize yourself, yourself, into one of these four areas, one of the four quadrants, the four empty parts of that. Um, so let's think for a few seconds, okay? So give, think about where, where would you put yourself on that? Okay, now I'm going to see if I could have captured your thinking, okay? So um, me, of course. That, that, that's, that's where you put yourself, right? You said, okay, may, maybe I'm not a, maybe I'm not a shining star brilliant. Maybe I'm, you know, just a little above average brilliant. You know, I, I'm okay right there. And, you know, I've got my jerky moments, but most of the time I'm not a jerk, right? So you probably put yourself in that category. All right. That, that, that's fair. Um, now some of you are a little more humble, right? Maybe you put yourself over there. You said, okay, but if you put yourself over here, you probably thought the same thing. You thought, okay, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a total zero. Maybe I'm just slightly, slightly, just slightly less than average brilliance, but I'm still not a jerk, right? So I'm willing to bet most of us put us, put ourselves there. So we got this other quadrant, and you know, if you said, you should have seen what happened on my way to church, or you should have seen what happened on my way to work, you see what these people did. Okay, so this is every, this is a lot of other people, right? You should see how many, gosh, how could you think that way? How could you be that way, right? So, we got that. And then we've got the fourth one, which is, um, yeah. (laughs) But please don't. (laughs) Especially if they happen to be sitting nearby. (laughs) So, um, According to John Mark Comer, okay, what I read earlier, most of the people in that quadrant right there, they're the people that run the world. I'm not saying everybody that runs the world, but a lot of the people that run the world. 
And maybe that's pretty believable. Now, I was at the movies recently, and uh, some of you that know about my, my background in engineering, so I was very interested to see the movie Oppenheimer. And uh, now I'd always had this, this belief that World War II was a noble war. And, you know, the Germans were terrible, the Americans were fantastic, and we went in there to save the world. And that's how I grew up viewing World War II, that everything the Germans did was nasty, everything the Americans did was great. So I'm watching the movie Oppenheimer, which, you know, is about the, the man who, who, who ran the Manhattan Project that developed the, the atomic bomb during World War II. And first of all, I'm noticing that all the people that it portrays are brilliant, and they're all jerks. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, was America really run by brilliant jerks during World War II? That, that, I mean, today I can kind of believe that, you know, maybe 10 years ago I could still believe that, but World War II was like an, that was like an honorable time, right? That's the time we all nostalgically refer back to. Those are the good old days. That's when things were right and people did what they were supposed to and they're being portrayed as brilliant jerks. And so, you know, it, it kind of got me thinking, well, maybe, Maybe that has been true. Maybe the world has been run by brilliant jerks for a lot. So I already did suggest that last week's scripture, James 5, 1 through 6, probably pertains to that group right there. We read that last week. Um, so let's look at this week's scripture. And what I want to do is speak to the rest of us. Now, if we, we put ourselves in these lower quadrants here, this is probably we would consider ourselves the opposite of a brilliant jerk in some way, either the opposite this way or opposite this way. If you were really honest with yourself and you put yourself in that quadrant up there, there's still, there's still good hope in today's message for you. Even if you happen to be in this area right here, today's message, I think, can speak to you. So um, let's go ahead and uh, take a minute and let's look at James 5, 7 through 12. So as a reminder, this is truth, this is life, this is God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's read it together. Please stand and let's read it together, either from the Bible or, or from here. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. All right. Thank you. You can be seated now. Thank you. So the first exhortation from James is to be patient, and he says to follow the example of the farmer. So I'll start off by saying that I'm not a farmer, nor have I ever portrayed one on TV. 
But I do have a lawn. I do have plants. I do have fruit trees. So I know a little bit about the agricultural cycle. Notice that James has to be patient until the coming of the Lord. And it kind of the first thing I thought of was one of the parables that Jesus talked about in, in Matthew 25. Um, the parable that the ten virgins that were waiting for their bridegroom to come. And it said five of them were very smart. They had the oil in their lamps trimmed. They had plenty of oil. They were ready for the bridegroom to come at any moment because they didn't know the bridegroom was off preparing a house, a place to live. Didn't know when, when the bridegroom was going to come back. So they were just ready for anything, anytime. And then there were five other virgins who were foolish. You know, they, they probably were maybe doing social media and stuff, and they used up all the oil in their lamps, and the, the lamps, the lamp wicks weren't trimmed, they kind of burned low, they didn't have extra ones. The bridegroom came back, and, and guess what? The first five were ready to go. And the second five said, oh, went to the first five and said, oh, uh, uh, help us out, man. Uh, you know, we need, can you loan me some oil? Can you loan me a wick? And the first five was like, sorry, um, it's time. You know, some, sometimes things have to run their course. Things have to happen that's going to happen. And the other, the second five were left out. They, they missed it. The first five went off with the bridegroom. That, I thought about that when it said, to be patient until the coming of the Lord indefinitely. It's kind of a funny juggling act. Um, we don't know when it's going to happen. Only the, Jesus said only, only the Father knows. But we're to wait expectantly for it. So I don't know if that's, that's typical. That's hard for me. I like to, I don't mind being patient when I know when I'm being patient for. Okay, Saturday we're going out. Or we're going on vacation next month, you know, and I can circle the date and I know I can expect it. The indefinite part is a little hard. And I think, I have a feeling I'm not alone in that. It's hard to wait indefinitely for something, especially when you wait expectantly. Like, I want it to happen, but I don't know when it's going to happen. I have to just keep waiting and waiting. But that's basically what James is asking us to do. He's saying to be like the farmer. And it said, it said in our Bible, the, 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 the autumn and spring rain, and, and also can say the early and the latter rain. So, again, not a farmer, but I do know that the first rainfall is the one that softens the ground, makes it pliable for planting because the winter, especially here in Michigan, right, it's snow, it's cold, the ground gets very hard, and uh, especially if you used hand implements like they did back then, um, you would want the ground to be soft and and ready for planting. So that first rain uh, would do that. It would kind of soften the ground and get it ready. But then there was the second rain, the second large set of rain, and that would cause the plants to mature. And you, as a farmer, knew you needed both, but you had to kind of wait for the first to know, okay, now it's time to plant because everything is softened up. And then you had to just wait for the second to come because that was going to mature your crop. So we were on vacation this summer, um, and uh, it wasn't, we weren't gone long, maybe two and a half weeks. And when we left in, like, late May, the grass at our house looked amazing. It was green. We, if you remember, we had a pretty, pretty nice spring rain, and everything looked green as all get out. So as we're driving back um, from, the, from the southwest, we're in Utah, we're driving back, and I'm noticing things are looking kind of, kind of yellow. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's in store for me when I get back? And I'm thinking to myself, everybody on our, in our block waters their lawn with water sprinklers, automatic sprinklers, pretty much except for us. I have a feeling I know what's going to happen. So if the lawn, if the, if, 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 if the color gold indicated money, 
we would have had a rich lawn <laughs> when I got back. But um, I thought, oh man, we've got like the yellowest lawn around. I thought, oh no. So um, I didn't want to freak out. I said, okay, I need to give this lawn some nurturing, need some fertilizer, need some water, need some TLC. But I know I can't do all of it. It's got to, the rain has to carry the day. So we did, we worked it, and then the rains came in July and in August. Okay, we got that good bout of rain, the second rain, the, the rain that matures the, 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 the fruit. Um, and the lawn is now lovely green. You'd never know it was that golden yellow color in mid-June. Um, but in waiting, what I had to do is I had to work it. I didn't just say, God, turn the lawn green. You know, I did that. I still was expecting uh, help from above. But I also had to do something in from my end to try to help. And I think that's what the farmer does. The farmer doesn't despair and give up on the harvest when the rain's a little late coming or when the, the weather doesn't cooperate. The farmer stays patient. The farmer continues to work the field and expect the harvest. I think that's important. Not to give up, but expect this is going to happen. It's just a matter of when. It may not be in my timing, but it's going to happen. And then um, it also says in, in this, first, this first little section of James uh, 5, 7 through 9, um, to establish your heart. And when it says establish, the, the word establish there is the word uh, sterizo. It's the Greek word. And it sort of says to steal and turn in a direction. So establish art means not, not just, I'm ready, but it means and do something. You know, establish your heart, be firm and steadfast, and do something in that steadfastness. And so that's the kind of patiently awaiting that we're supposed to be involved in. Like the farmer, resolute, but still action. It's an act of trust in God to come. It's an act of trust to God to be an agent in our lives while we're waiting. That's the patience that James is talking about. So so here's one thing to practice in the to be the opposite of brilliant jerk, here's one practice. Be patient. The brilliant jerk wants to jump the gun. The opposite of a brilliant jerk, patience. Alright, in this next little segment, um, starting in verse nine, um, he says not to grumble. Um, so I'm probably not going to be talking to anybody in particular when I say this. Um, Grumbling is a very interesting habit that we fall into. Now, when I was a young Christian and I worked in a kind of a secular place in in the world of engineering at the time, um, I I saw a lot of grumbling, and sometimes it's grumbling against people. And I'm a young Christian. I'm thinking, I don't want to let these, these grumpy old secular people affect my spiritual life. So I determined that when I was there, I would, if I, if people were starting to grumble about somebody, I would try to say something nice about them. So legitimately nice, not just, you know, a, 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 a fake compliment. And so I started practicing that. You know, I, they'd be talking, nah, so-and-so, rah, 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 rah. And, uh, and I'd say, yeah, but you know, one thing they do well, <laughs> and I would always try to sell something like that in. And it, it was, it was kind of good. It was successful in that group of people and kind of helping us to not grumble so much. So here's the problem. Um, it worked well in, in the world. Um, when I got in the church and everybody's grumbling 
I mean, who are you witnessing to, right? You, it's easy to fall into grumbling when everybody else is grumbling too. It's like, okay, well, he's grumbling, he's pretty spiritual, so I guess it's okay to grumble, so I, I'll grumble a little too. And then probably somebody sees you and says, well, that person's spiritual, and they're grumbling, so I guess I'm, I can grumble too. And before you know it, everybody's grumbling. And it was easy for me to say, for the sake of the non-Christian, I will try not to grumble. But when the people in the church were grumbling, and I was just grumbling right with them, I didn't really have that to fall back on. So grumbling among Christians is pretty pervasive. It's pretty infectious. It's pretty hard to stop. And it says that that condemnation is potentially there, is there for us. That's what James says. Because the judge is at the door. We're being watched, right? Sometimes when we grumble, maybe we're not grumbling here. Maybe we're grumbling here, right? Or maybe we're grumbling at at home, right? If I can't grumble in the privacy of my own home, where can I grumble, right? (laughs) But the judge is always watching. The judge is always watching. And... And if you realize that, you think, oh my gosh, um, do I really want, do I really want the judge to see that all the time? Because the judge is, I don't want to have a sentence pronounced on me. So, there's no such thing as quiet or secret grumbling. It's interesting, in Numbers 21, there's a story about the, the nation of Israel had just fought a battle against some Canaanites and they'd won. They were victorious. This is when they were going through the 40 years in the desert. You know, there's the, the, the quail, there's the manna, there's the water coming out of a rock a couple of times, right? A lot of miraculous deliverance. But after they had won a victory, <laughs> they were starting to grumble. It's hot. This place is the pits. we got to get out of here. It was better in Egypt where we were at. You know, Moses, you you caused all this. You know, this is like Moses keeps hearing this over and over again. And guess what God's up there saying? All right, I'm done. And he sends snakes to bite. And when they get a snake bite, you're dead. It kills you. And the people cried out to Moses. And Moses said, okay, God, what should I do? And God said, "Um, erect or create a bronze serpent on, on a pole. But if you think about a serpent, you know, on a pole, you probably need a crossbeam somewhere to help pr- keep that serpent when you build it, right? So it's kind of thinking it's a cross, a serpent on a cross. And he said, if you build that, hold it up, whoever looks at it will be healed. It was that simple. And so some people, I have a feeling, said, are you kidding? I'm, I'm, I'm bitten. I'm dying. What do you mean, look at a serpent <laughs> on a pole? <laughs> But the people that did it were healed. And they remembered that. They saved that pole for a couple hundred years. In fact, they started to worship it as an idol and it ended up getting destroyed by a king who brought reform. It's like, okay, that figures. But grumbling is something that God doesn't like. And if you think about it, when you're grumbling about something, are you not grumbling? Am I not grumbling about God? God, why aren't you taking care of me? God, why aren't you handling this? God, you're not providing what I need. God, you're not taking care of me. But I'm not blaming God. I'm blaming this person or that person, or this circumstance or that circumstance, or this politician or that politician. Right? So he says, instead, let the prophets be a positive example. So I'm thinking, okay. So Jeremiah, he's a prophet, right? He was thrown in stocks. You know, stocks. 
He was thrown in prison. He was dropped in a, 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 a well full of miry clay, mud, right? He was dumped in a well. Now that sounds disgusting to me, right? That's moist and yuck. He was imprisoned in that. And yet, he was Jeremiah, the prophet. Um, and he never, he never lost his trust in God. And God continued to speak through Jeremiah even as he went through all of these difficult things. If you look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, it has numerous examples of people that, they, that, uh, that the author of Hebrews talks about that went through trials. And you know what he says about all of them? He says the world was not worthy of them. So that's, that's how God thought. He didn't see it like, well, these poor slobs are going through it again. He said, you guys are above, way above what everybody, poor everybody puts you at. And um, it's because those people that were going through the trials, they had a vision for something that was coming. It wasn't their present reality, but they knew something better was coming, and they were looking forward to that. Even as they lived their life right in the present, they were looking ahead to that future thing that they never actually saw with their eyeballs. But I, I believe now they, they experience it fully um, in, 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 in heaven. That's the kind of... Uh, example that we want to be. If difficult things happen to us, we don't lose our trust in God. We don't start to grumble. We continue to keep our trust there. And then Job is another one that he, that, that uh, James specifically talks about. Follow the example of Job. Now Job had all kinds of wealth, and then it was all taken away from him like in a day. And then he still had his health, and then his health was taken away from him in a day. And Job had nothing but his life and his wife. And his wife said, curse God and die. <laughs> He's like, you've, you've hit rock bottom, Job. But Job refused to do that. Job wasn't perfect. Job said, what did I do to deserve this? And there was like 37 chapters of discussion <laughs> about that. <laughs> what did Job do to deserve it? It turned out he didn't do anything to deserve it. Sometimes bad things happen to good people because Satan was out there stirring up trouble. But the nice thing to know is that, first of all, God, is, uh, and James says God was compassionate, right? Um, God was compassionate. He limited Satan. You know, Satan said, I want to wreck this guy. So God said, you can go here, and that's it. So Satan was limited in what he could do. And second of all, God sustained Job through the suffering and anguish, and then he ended up restoring him with even more than what he had before. Um, what was ruined or taken away was, was back. Um, in fact, it, it's interesting when it says the Lord is compassionate, the actual translation is very pitiful. It's like the Lord has this big heart with lots of chambers. It's kind of the implication of that. He has a huge heart of compassion for, for us. So if we are in a difficult situation where we want to grumble, 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 remember that God is watching, and God has compassion, and God is active. So um, here's an extra credit on this one, by the way, and that is try not to do things that make other people grumble. That's just, that's something I try to tell myself. I'm not always perfect at it, but I do try to tell myself that. Alright, so this is the second thing to practice, to be the opposite of a brilliant jerk. Don't grumble. Alright, finally James talks about letting our yes be yes, or our no be no. In other words, let our word be golden, is kind of the way I think of it. To be dependable, rather than needing to swear an oath to show others that we're emphatic. Um, so James actually says, he says, above all, do this, right? This is the thing to value more than anything else. So this is a bit of a throwback to James. James, if you remember when Pastor Tamar told us, is the half-brother of Jesus. So 
um, he's actually bringing back a teaching of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, when Jesus said pretty much the same thing. Um, he said he had, had more stuff to it, but the, the basic idea is the same. And uh, Jesus, when he spoke about this, he reasoned that the only thing we can control, he said, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by earth, don't swear by, you know, the temple, because you, those things are all bigger than you, you can't control them. The only thing you can sort of control is what you say. So he just said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And, uh, and James is kind of bringing that back. So in thinking about this, the American way is to kind of be contract happy, right? If you haven't ever been in a contract before, I mean, think about the house you own or any sort of a loan you've taken out or any sort of, I mean, I think we've all had contracts. Sometimes it's a contract for how, what you would do and what someone else would do. That's the American way. And it sometimes seems that once a contract is made, either the, the people who signed it, um, someone in, uh, who signed that contract is starting to figure out a way to weasel out of it <laughs> or to kind of, what, how can I, how, what can I get away with? <laughs> and that, that's, that's, um, in fact, people make good money trying to figure that out. Um, for example, okay, um, faculty at universities are contracted, right? And this is, you know, other people that are, that are employed are contracted too. So it's not the only ones. But, um, but as an example, um, legalese gets worked into the faculty contract so that if, um, if, uh, you, you have a, uh, a failure of the code of conduct for the university, you can be terminated even though you have a contract. But on the other hand, if the university finds itself in deep financial trouble, and they have to get rid of people, you can be terminated. So let me repeat that. If you have a contract, but you do something stupid, you can be terminated. If you have a contract and they do something stupid, you can be terminated. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure you didn't miss that. It's a bit one-sided, right? That's how we like to write contracts. <laughs> how can I write this so that I come out on top no matter what happens? <laughs> um, so... Brilliant jerks write those things, right? <laughs> so there's nothing inherently wrong with an oath. In fact, uh, in Scripture, sometimes God makes an oath. I have a feeling that when God makes an oath, it's because he needs, we're the ones that need the convincing. We're the ones that aren't sure if God can do what he said he was going to do. And so he has to state an oath to kind of drive it home. Um, but... But the ideal is that to simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. The basic issue is character. So um, when I was a young Christian, I ran across Proverbs 15. It lists the characteristics of a man who had ascended the holy hill of the Lord. And it has one of them, uh, verse 4c, said, it made an impression on me. Because it said, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And I thought, okay, so that means if I say I'm going to do something, and it turns out, that it's way harder for me to do it, <laughs> or even painful for me to do it, but I keep, but I do it, that's a characteristic of a faithful person who can enter the holy hill of the Lord. I thought, okay. It's not a problem to let our yes be yes and our no be no when it's going to work to our advantage, right? That's easy. The hard part is when it doesn't. Um, so are we willing to accept extra difficulty to keep our word? Or do we, you know, in other words, are we more interested in um, not so much how to get around something, but what's, what we can get out of it? That's, I think, the important thing. That's the character issue. 
So I'm, I'm not going to try to, oh, shoot, I said I would do this. Well, I, I can't. I'm just going to, you know, weasel my way out of it. Rather than say, okay, I'll do it. It may mean I have to miss some sleep tonight. It may mean I ha- can't watch that game I wanted to watch. Or I can't go to that party I wanted to go to. So I can do this thing that I said I'd do. Um, when our word is golden, it means we've thought it through. And we stand behind what we say. And we enjoy or suffer the consequences. But that's practicing the way of the Father either way. Um, because we want to be like Him. Right? His word is golden. And so He's saying, let your word be golden too. So, by James's wisdom, this is the third thing. And it's above all, because this is the prime character issue. To be more like God. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So, I'd like for you to maybe just turn to a person next to you and say, he's talking about all of us. <laughs> so this is the challenge then. Okay, How do we get from where we're at today, right here, right? September 3rd, 2023, 10.58 a.m. How do we get from here to there? What new thing can I do to practice the way of Jesus that will lead us to more patience, less grumbling, and a golden word, a golden yes, right? So it's a challenge that I'd like to invite you to kind of think about, and it's a challenge that's kind of been ongoing. Pastor Tamar has said this many times um, as she has talked us through James. But the way of Jesus is not something that we would just follow automatically, it's something we have to choose to follow. We have to be intentional about it. So what I'm, I'm asking is that you think about how, what are some things you could do differently in your life? What is one thing you could do differently? Now, here's what I'm not suggesting. You come home and the house is empty and your spouse says, Honey, I sold everything we have. We're taking a vow of poverty. Okay. Don't have to go that far, but I, won't, I don't want to rule that out. But what can you do in your daily, in your daily, your life practice to move in that direction? Or what can you stop doing if it's not helping you get in that direction? Earlier today, you heard about some opportunities that are happening in church that are opening up starting here this month. You'll hear about some more again next week. Can you take advantage of something different, something new? And just to make it interesting, I want to take attending church off the table. Because, and we would do that. Maybe I'll even make it more interesting. Let's take service at church off the table too. Okay. Let's take both those off the table. Because we're kind of supposed to do that. What other thing could we start doing? Just a little thing to develop patience in our lives. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's some kind of a study or something that we do to learn more about God's word. Maybe we start to hang out with people that we want to be more like. Thinking, I like how that person lives their life. I want to be more like that. I'm going to hang with that person a little more. Maybe it's to develop more prayer in our lives. Maybe it's to develop fellowship with the right people, people that are going to help me walk in the way of Jesus rather than people who are either neutral or even opposed to the way of Jesus. Maybe it's to tell other people what God has done for me, what God's done in my life, to do more for that. So that's the challenge, just to think of something that you can do 
different, and maybe something, if, if it needs to be, something you can stop doing that's a little different. So it's not easy to make room in our lives for something fresh. Um, sometimes social media takes a lot of time. Entertainment takes a lot of time. Sports takes a lot of time. Um, friendship with the wrong crowd. Unregulated ambition, going back to the brilliant jerk, can be one of those things. So the challenge, before you walk into church again, whenever that is, to think about making a decision to start doing something and stop doing something. So let's start the contemplation process as we worship together right now. Um, and let's get as far away from brilliant jerkdom as possible.